Hello, and welcome to episode 83 of Locked On Canadians, your daily Habs fix, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is a Tuesday night. We are recording your Wednesday morning episode. The Habs have a couple of days off between their games, but we still have a lot of stuff to talk about, so we'll get right to that. I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Laura Saba. You might know me as The Active Stick. And I'm joined, as always, by my truly awesome, very patient co-host, Scott Matla. Scott, how are you doing? I am doing just fine. It's a little bit weird not having a game right now. Like, the bye week threw me off, and then having a game right on Monday, then two get days off, and then the weird back-to-back this weekend. It's like, even when the Canadians are back, they can't make this easy on us, right? The schedule truly is the bane of my existence. I've compl- I've been complaining about it privately to Scott all day. It's very hard to plan your life when your job is to recap or to watch hockey games. And it's just been all over the place. I think, you know, you, it, it seems like it's going to go back to normal. And then you have a week with four games thrown in. And then you have another week where it's like just two games. It's a little bit frustrating. But in the meantime, We've got a ton of stuff going on that we would like to talk about, and we want your thoughts on it as well, so please hit us up. Don't forget to ask us mailbag questions and also to interact with us because we choose a listener of the week every week based on who does talk to us. And speaking of that, I do want to shout out some listeners from all over the world. Once in a while, I'll get a little bit curious and look at the uh, podcast analytics, and we have basic data, but one thing that is very easy for us to learn is where people are listening to us from. And so I want to shout out whoever's listening to us in New Zealand. I want to shout out, we've got quite a few listeners in Australia and the UK, so I want to say hi to you guys as well. Uh, there were so many, you know, I, there, there, there were some listens from Israel. We regularly have listeners in, or at least one listener at the very least, based on the numbers, we've got possibly a couple of listeners in Brazil. I saw some in Japan, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, might be people who are listening to us on the go, traveling, and still listening to us wherever you are. But I just want to say hi, and also please hit us up. We're at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com if you want to email us. If you follow us on Twitter, then, or if you are on Twitter, you can follow us at LO underscore Canadians. Please say hi. We want to know who you are. We want to thank you for listening from so far away and it's just it's so exciting to just to know that there are people out there that aren't in Canada or the US where you know the majority of our listenership is that that care about what we have to say about the Habs it's it's really really fun and speaking of what we have to say about the Habs Kevin Kurz of the Athletic he covers the San Jose Sharks and he reported that earlier this year Mark Edward Vlasic was willing to waive his no move just to come to the Habs. The report didn't say whether or not Mark Bergevin had inquired. It didn't say what the context of this willingness to move his no trade was at all. I truly am not sure. But I think we we are possibly as a whole entire fan base. I don't know if you disagree. Let us know. Uh, on the same page, that this is not a good idea, is it, Scott? Yeah, I'm currently looking at a couple of different sites that I use to reference a lot of things. First is HockeyViz.com, which is 
awesome if you want to see like, hey, I think someone might be getting a lot of shots from this area generating offense and looking at their charts. Mark Edward Vlasic is known as a defensive defenseman and one, right in front of his net, there is just a angry red splotch of other teams getting a lot of shots on his goaltenders. And when your goaltenders are Martin Jones and Aaron Dell, that's usually a pretty bad thing. And I'm looking at what is a replacement chart. So players who play over a certain amount of time with somebody, where they rank on their, you know, shots for and against. And the chart has four corners. There's dull in the upper left, good in the upper right, bad in the lower left, and fun in the lower right. Mark Edward Vlasic played with Eric Carlson for 336 5v5 minutes this year. And with Eric Carlson, they are firmly stuck in the bad category. The minute you take Mark Edward Vlasic away from Eric Carlson, Eric Carlson is firmly stuck in the good category on the opposite end of the chart, in case you're wondering how much of a drag he's been. Eric Carlson is not quite the player he used to be. He is still very good, but it's very clear that Mark Edward Vlasic is dragging him down. And if you think Shea Weber's long contract is going to be a burden on the Canadians, Mark Edward Vlasic's $7 million a year cap hit runs the exact same length of time as Shea Weber's current contract. But with Weber's, he's no longer getting signing bonuses and his total salary and base salary is dropping in these final couple years. Vlasic's is, right now, he's getting paid 2.25 next year, then 7.25, then 5 million, 7.25 million, 4.5 million, then 3.5 million. And he's a declining defensive defenseman. And for the love of God, I need Mark Bergevin to run away screaming from this deal. Because I know that he waved saying he'd love to go back home. I don't see this being a contract or a trade that works out at all for Mark Bergevin. Unless, you know, San Jose is retaining a lot of salary on this. And Montreal isn't giving up anything big. And Doug Wilson's a terrifying GM to trade with. I don't like Mark Bergevin's odds at getting a successful trade for Mark Edward Vlasic done. I think you made the most important point there. Doug Wilson is a terrifying GM to trade with. And to be fair, from a San Jose perspective, he's doing his job if he's shopping Mark Edward Vlasic and hoping that somebody will, you know, will take the bait. But we don't even know if he was being shopped. All we know is that According to Kevin Kurz, Mark Edward Vlasic was willing to move to to waive his no trade, or, or I think it's a, it's a complete no move, right? It's a no move clause. It's a crazy contract. He's declining. He's old. He's a sweet guy. I love him so much as a person, especially players with their dogs. It's so adorable. I, like I have nothing to say on on that end except that you know, as a player. That's what you would be trading for. You'd be you'd be trading for not his personality. You'd be trading for his play. And honestly, to me, it just it seems like whether or not he was willing, maybe he was like talking about it and saying like I'd be willing to wait for Montreal only or something. You never know what the context is. We don't know for sure if he was being shopped. We don't know for sure if he was being inquired about. Maybe it was another team, and then and then he said no, only Montreal or something like that. And it's great that he would want to come back to his hometown because wouldn't you? But at the same time, this is a terrible idea. Mark Bergevin, as you said, should run really far from it. But it is trade season. 
But before we move on to talking about that, I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned, you know, he's a defensive defenseman. I want to talk a little bit about the role of defensemen in, in hockey now and how it's changing and how younger players can sort of prepare themselves for the league in the future. And we'll, t- we'll talk about that in our next segment. If you were listening to us on Monday, then you know that Scott went to cover the Laval Rocket live on Friday night. And he and Julian McKenzie of Habs Eyes on the Prize wrote up an interview, which you can find. It's it. It was posted on Monday, but it's still on the front page last I checked, so you can go check it out. It was a really interesting interview with Josh Brook, kind of based on him having to play as a forward or him being assigned to play as a forward in the last few games. And, you know, one of the things that we took away from it was his attitude and just how positive he was about being adaptable and how he kind of had resigned himself, not resigned himself, he kind of accepted that if you want to be a success in this league, you kind of have to play uh, at all ends of the ice. And the only thing that be, that playing as forward when you're really a defenseman is going to do is going to improve your game. And his attitude seemed to be like, wherever I'm needed, that's where I'm going to be. And it's it can only be good for me. And part of that article, there was a very interesting thing that Joel Bouchard said that has stuck with me for the last few days since I read it. Scott, would you like to elaborate specifically about what I'm getting at? So Bouchard is a coach who is very forward thinking in the way, and I think I have the quote that you're thinking of right here, and he said we shouldn't force kids at the minor league levels to just play one position and only play that position. He says that players should play five games, goalies obviously different, play five games at every position over the course of a season to get them well-rounded into it, and the quote from Bouchard, and I really love this, it says, "You so he says, you want to have a job in hockey, you can have 12 jobs if you're a forward, if you're a center, you have four, and he continues, I'm only going to be a lefty, okay, yeah, perfect, we only have three jobs, you play left and right, you have six jobs. His whole point being that players who come into minor hockey and junior hockey and that and only know how to play one spot are limiting their potential career usefulness or career longevity by only knowing one thing. And when I spoke to Brooke on Friday, I asked him about that. He actually thought it was funny. He's like, I just want to play. All I want to do is help my team win. And that means I got to take some shifts playing as a forward. That means I got to take some shifts playing as a forward. That means I got to be rotating playing 7th D. I'm rotating and playing 7th D. He's one of those younger guys who gets the buy-in for it. He played forward for his junior team in his last year of eligibility there because they were so injured. And you know what? He didn't look out of place. It's not that he's unfamiliar with it. And I'm not saying that maybe we should consider, you know, converting him to a forward. No. He gets the new age mentality that you have to be flexible, especially in modern hockey. Injuries are going to happen. Other things are going to happen. There's so much going on that it's not easy to just shoehorn yourself into one role and that's it. And it's refreshing to, one, know that his coach is forward-thinking enough to understand. It's like, hey, I know that you are a right defenseman and you've played right defense. Can we have you play some games as left defense because we need that right now and rotate guys around the lineup to get them more experience? It might not go great at first, but at the same time, you're never going to find out unless you try and... Both Bouchard and Brooke having this very positive, you know, 
not, you know, narrow-minded view of what they want to do is very refreshing for this team after being stuck in an old-school mentality for so long. I especially love what he said about having job options. His implication is that the more experience you have and the more you try to play at all positions, the more valuable you'll be overall. That's not necessarily saying that five, ten years from now, there's not going to be a position in hockey. People are just going to get thrown on the ice. And then it's up to the, it's up to the coach. Like they, like they set up lines, but they also set up positions. I don't think that that's what he's getting at. I think that especially now as we're like getting close to trade season, it's something that makes you a more valuable person. So assuming there's a guy, he's a defenseman, but he could potentially play on the fourth line. And there's a guy who's a defenseman. He, he's, he, he's good for defensive depth, but you wouldn't be able to play him at forward. He would just be a disaster. Like which guy? is going to bring you more return if you're trying to take, trade him. Like, which guy is going to get signed more easily, more quickly? Like, I think it just increases your value. And when he says, like, you have potential jobs, not necessarily in that position, but you have more more people willing to give you a shot, I think. Uh, you know, the Canadians themselves this year have dealt with so many injuries. And nobody's saying that a guy, like, I don't know, I'm trying to, like, throw somebody out. Like, Victor Mete is not going to, like, replace Jonathan Drouin's production. That's not going to happen. But at the same time, if you've got a guy like, you know, I don't know, like maybe maybe it's somebody like a fourth liner that you would move back or the other way around. Like if if you have too little depth, if you have too many injuries, like sort of like in the supporting roles, I think that just like the fact that your players might be interchangeable just gives you an advantage. And in today's NHL, like as much as people are still talking about whether or not analytics are valuable, or not. I know that's the conversation that's going on on the outside, but in sports in general, especially since the whole the Moneyball era, it isn't necessarily just about analytics. It's about finding and exploiting market inefficiencies. And I think that teams as a whole in all sports, and I think organizations in all kind of in all kinds of industries, they need to find the little thing that's going to give them an edge until everybody else catch, catches up. And then there's going to be a new thing that gives them an edge until everyone else catches up. So I feel like that's the kind of thing that teams will be looking at. If you have an NHL or if you have a pool of players to draft from, to call up from, that are more versatile. And nobody's saying that Ovechkin's going to become like, you know, the top D. That's not That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is when you're a supporting player, when you're one of the people that the team, like we, we like to describe it as players you can't win a cup without the depth roles. I think it just, it just makes you more valuable if you try and if you try and, and, and trying to develop a player. If you've got a young player who's shown promise and potential and could potentially be some, something down the line or, or, uh, even if it's, even if it's just like for fun, like why not learn everything? Why not like, and, and people will always gravitate towards the thing that's easiest for them and that they're good at and that's fine but I think just the idea of having more rounded experience there's nothing wrong with that I think that that could only be positive yeah it's one thing to just kind of pull the shoot on it and we're you're panicking and you throw someone into a role because you have you know no other ideas I don't think this is because they were out of ideas or anything like that it's Bouchard does things with a reason he doesn't just throw guys out there and go Ah, well, we're down, you know, seven forwards. Uh, Brooksy, you're a forward now. Do you, do your best. I guarantee that there's a reason behind everything. I don't think they're trying to transition him into forward, 
But everything they do is done with a purpose now. It's not wasted development anymore when there's a plan in place. Is that he had to play as a forward for a few games, not the end of the world, because he then went back to defense and he's back playing a top four role, and he's looked so much better now. There's such a knee-jerk reaction to things that are different, and I don't blame fans. We went through how many years of garbage in the AHL where things like this happening you know, it's like, well, what the hell are they doing? Now, it's nice knowing that the coach behind the bench has plans and formulations in his head for something like this. It's not just throwing crap at the wall and hoping it sticks. It's doing things with a purpose and bettering players and trying to help them reach their potential. I'm sure Bouchard would love to be able to rotate guys through positions, but at the professional level, you can't do that. Hence his quote about doing that at you know, the minor league and junior level, it's it's forethought is the word I think I've been looking for, is that he's showing forethought and seeing what lies ahead. His role as a coach doesn't just end and start with practice and games. It ends with getting these guys ready to get to the next level on and off the ice, to be ready to play in the NHL and beyond. His, and doing the way that he coaches and his philosophy clearly is definitely a good step forward in preparing so many of these young players to try and take that next step. From where I'm sitting right now, honestly, I love him. I admire him so much as a hockey coach. And obviously we don't know what he's like at the NHL level at this point, but I just, I'm so thrilled and happy with the way things are going, even though like the, the rocket are struggling in terms of results. I truly like, I'm, I'm just amazed at the, amount of things that he's been able to do on the development level. And before we move on to our next segment, Scott mentioned at the uh, at the top of the show, he mentioned Hockey Viz, which I had meant to sort of interject with when he was talking about. But that is the brainchild of Micah Blake McCurdy. And you can find him on Twitter at Ineffective Math. And if you're somebody who's trying to understand analytics doesn't know where to start it might seem daunting i would i would urge people to look up hockey viz it does seem daunting at first until you figure out exactly what how to search and what the numbers mean but it's a really great way to kind of visualize how uh, you know any kind of analytics to be honest like it's 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 it, it it puts things in an easy to understand sort of image that, that uh, I find very helpful. And the thing about Micah is also if you don't understand, if you're new, if you're not sure how to start, if you're not sure where to start, if you want to understand what he's trying to do, he's such an accessible person and so helpful and is like willing to, and, and very patient to, you know, and explains things to you in a way that does not make you feel like an idiot. So one of the things that we do want to do, hopefully in the coming weeks, is have Micah on the podcast as well. So if you guys have any analytics questions, please keep them handy and also check out Hockey Viz. But in the present, we kind of have to move on to our next segment, and that is coming up in just a moment. So earlier today, I got a DM from Scott. So we usually message each other developments in, in Habs land or things that we want to bring up or guests that we want to have on the show. Like, we'll we'll like send each other ideas. So he sent me a tweet and I started laughing because I, I initially thought, OK, it's probably something that he wanted to discuss when we were recording. And it was a glorious quote from I think it was Arpan Basu that had the tweet, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Or was it John Liu? I I can't remember. Anyway, 
What did it say? So um, this was Brendan Gallagher's been back to practice this week, and he was actually talking with his former teammate, Andrew Shaw. And here's the quote from Arpin Bass of The Athletic. Uh, Gallagher also said Andrew Shaw reached out to him immediately after the New Year's Eve game in Carolina, where he was given a concussion after colliding with Ben Sherratt, and told him not to come back too early. Then, after Gallagher came back against the Edmonton game, Shaw immediately texted him to tell him that he's an idiot. <laughs> it's not hard to disagree with Andrew Shaw, I think. I think my favorite thing about that in retrospect is that it's Andrew Shaw that's calling someone an idiot. <laughs> And I just want to put this out there. If you ever want a friend to call you an idiot for something that you're doing that's endangering yourself, please hit me up. I would love to call you an idiot. But the broader context of that is there's been a lot of talk in the market, whether it's from Habs fans or media, about how Brendan Gallagher's quote-unquote headaches have been handled. And Scott has some very strong feelings about this. Yeah, I look at... This whole thing with his concussion where he says he felt good enough to come back. He played against Edmonton. They lost. And then he's been out since with headaches related to what they said was a virus and all this other things. And I can't help but think that for the love of God, what was the point of playing Brendan Gallagher for one game that they lost in? Your season's pretty much in the crapper to begin with. The last thing you want to do is take your extremely valuable 30-goal winger and try and let him play through a concussion. Even if your test cleared him, you should go, you've been cleared. However, you got a little bit of a break coming up. Take another game or two off, and then let's reassess and see where we're at, because concussion symptoms can come and go. As someone who's had a couple over the course of his, you know, life, they come and go on certain days or don't appear right away. And it feels a little bit, I don't want to say reckless, because if they did their testing, which I can believe that they did, at some point someone has to go, okay, you know, you're cleared for this, but for safety purposes and to just be 100% sure in this, we'd like to hold you out another game or two, make sure you can still practice without anything. Like Noah Juleson in the AHL was able to come back this year, play, but he wouldn't practice as often or he'd have to leave practice because his headaches would come back the minute, even if he wasn't showing symptoms, his headaches would come back and that caused an issue. It's one thing to lose a prospect defenseman. It's another thing for the Canadians in the midst of a season where they're not really doing all that much to lose one of their best players. I get that he's the spark plug to this team and that people want him to be back in the lineup so that Canadians can get back on the winning track and, make a desperate, you know, last gas push for this. But at the same time, if we're looking at this realistically with the way the Canadians are, 10 points out of a playoff spot, why are we trying to rush Brendan Gallagher back into the lineup when he's coming off a severe brain injury? Like, I would rather them be overly cautious than not at all. It it scares me with how, you know dangerous concussions can be and especially with a guy who plays a style like Brendan Gallagher where he's physical battling in front of the net if he's not fully recovered and he's in front of the net and some defender kind of catches him with an elbow or a cross check what's that going to do to his brain that's still recovering you know is it going to make a situation that isn't great even worse than that already like there's so many things about it that seem dangerous and irresponsible for a season that's going the way that it is right now. 
I think a key part of this is Brendan Gallagher himself. Something that I noticed, and it was later confirmed, I think I was reading an article by Sean Gordon, it is that the Canadians are one of a handful of teams that forbid warming up without helmets. So if you're in the warm-up, you're wearing a helmet, it makes sense to me as 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 a person who, like, you know, is very worried about players in their heads. And, like, I, I can't even watch warm-ups because I cringe because I'm like, somebody is going to be, like, uh, directing a puck at the goalie or the net. And then Ovechkin and Backstrom, who are stretching without helmets on the ice, are going to get hit in the head with a puck. Like, I, I have, like, so many weird paranoid freakouts about stuff like that. And the Canadians are one of a few teams that, like, won't let you warm up without a helmet, which, to me, I think it should just be a rule. I understand why it's not. Players would not be okay with it. But so I feel like the Canadians in general, especially in recent years, are more and more cautious about stuff like this. But as you said yourself, you know, the last time Brendan Gallagher was injured, they had to hide his equipment so he wouldn't practice. And that to me kind of it says that it's it's a little bit like the player is kind of forcing their hand a little bit more than anything. And we've read so many articles about how players kind of train themselves to get to pass those tests and things like that as well. So from my perspective, I feel like that what the Canadians should have done at that point is not just have been more cautious than they ended up being, but also being a little bit more forceful with their player. Like you, you know, team doctors, the team has the final say in whether you play or not. Worst come to worst, they clear you like Chloe Julian could help you scratch you. So for me, I think that the player kind of was a factor in that. And I think that it's something that unfortunately the hockey player toughness mentality kind of promotes a lot. And I'm all for toughness. I'm all for like hockey is an incredibly terrifying sport to play. It's so fast. It's so tough. It's so physical. And nobody's saying that you're not tough if you want to take care of yourself. And that's something I think that's a mentality that we have to change. Like if you want to heal completely before you get back on the ice and start like slamming other players into the boards then I think you should. And, and, and we really need to have like conversations about how people really need to prioritize their health more. And I know it's like, it's also like, it's a cutthroat kind of, kind of uh, any sport. It's kind of like that, you know, for everybody who doesn't, who, who makes the NHL, there's 10 people that don't, that are almost as talented. So I completely understand why you wouldn't want to put yourself out of the running, but at the same time, like it's not worth the long-term damage, both to yourself and to your team down the line. So for me, I feel like Brendan Gallagher, at some point, like the team probably should have been a little bit more strict, a little bit more harsh with him. But again, not knowing what happened behind the scenes, like I can't, I can't be definitive on that, but I feel like one day when I'm running the NHL, teams will have to be a lot more forceful with their players. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is someone's like, well, they can't stop him. Like, well, why the hell not? You're the one who is his boss. If you want him to sit a game just to make sure that he is fully healthy as a precaution, you bring him in and say, look, you can do this, but, or I'm, we're not putting you in the lineup. We want to sit you for a game just to be sure. I know that, and we know that he's the same way. Like you said, they had to hide his equipment. You have to have that discussion. It's like, I get it. You want to play and you're a big part of this team. We're also trying to make sure you're a part of this team for a long time in the future by trying to take care of you here. You know, I don't know if that's just, you got to have one of the other players there with you or someone who can, you know, relate to him on that level, but it's like, we're just trying to help. This is not a negative thing. This is for your own well-being and for the betterment of the team going forward. It's it's harsh to say, and I don't know, maybe there's, you know, 
players association rules or something that I don't know about, but I would really like teams to start doing that more often. It's like, yeah, the doctors cleared you. We're going to give you another game though, just to make sure everything's fine. We're going to put you through your paces at practice and make sure everything's good. And then it's like, could you imagine if he didn't play that Edmonton game and then they gave him those couple days of rest before he had to play again and he was fine. You know, they were so close to that bye week and that break coming up that him taking a game off just to make sure that he was 100% probably wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. It probably would have been better, much better for him. But again, like you said, we don't know what happened behind the scenes and hopefully he's, you know, fully ready to go now. Like he's actually healthy and not just healthy enough to play, I guess. And with that, like we said, we don't know what happened behind the scenes, but that's kind of our perspective on this. This is something that we both kind of wanted to rant about since, since I guess he played um, after, after, after that game. We will leave you with that thought and we will be back tomorrow to preview the Buffalo Sabres game and talk about all kinds of other stuff. I want to thank everyone again, especially all you guys around the world for listening to us. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at LO underscore Canadians. If you want to email us, we're at LockedOnCanadians at Gmail. Please send us stuff, especially if you're far away. We want to hear from how you heard about us and, 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 and your thoughts and everything like that. And if you want to find Scott on Twitter, he's at Scott Matla. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at The Active Stick. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. You know the deal by now. I want to thank you guys again for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.